ticket, ticket, meal ticket, ticket, comma, uh, still in my level real all right we're back once again folks live in effect in greenwood bonjour shalom and what's up and welcome to the how you living podcast the woke till we're dead cast the uh first of its kind in the million dollar Chaz tower studios here uh live in greenwood once again seattle washington along the shores up on the hillside and uh we're here once again and usually on this show we like to start with a look, heading on back into the worlds that we have entered before in this show, in a segment called "Cook Cook Callbacks." Callbacks. And uh, your callbacks. within the callbacks, I'm also going to include my normal intro question: How you living, Chaz? You know, I'm doing good. Yeah, can't complain. You know, the uh, the week's been interesting. We had the the correspondence dinner part two, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, uh, Trump Trump's edition of it, part two. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we also had uh, Kanye spitting some mess. You know. Yeah, posting pictures on Instagram and saying things on Twitter and. Uh, that TMZ interview that was like. TM live TMZ interview. There's a Charlemagne interview that's coming out. That was a couple days before all the events, but like with similar kind of uh, mindset as far as like what his politics were right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I mean, we have, uh, you know, North Korea, South Korea peace talks. I know. Which is starting to look, you know, more and more possible. Hey, girl. Hi. So, uh, you know, <laughs> shout out to them. Uh, shout out to the peace process in the uh, demilitarized zone. Yeah. Uh, what else? And then there was, uh, you know, a strike, uh, in Syria just like recently. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, that was conducted, you know, by either Israel or the U.S. and um some allies from Jordan. Uh, but yeah, and then the previous strike as well. So, you know, and that's our world that we're uh, our current kind of ball of wax that we live in these days. Is yeah, there's always 19 fronts going on. Everything from what almost could be tabloid trash, but tabloid trash has kind of spilled into the uh, the pages of uh, of our modern politics and like a little bit, you know. That's you know, which I guess has kind of always been the case. Like you definitely had that in the Clinton era, and but I don't know. It's it's interesting that you know we have headlines like the Kanye thing, but that it's linked to Trump. And Trump's linked to the Syria thing. So it's like in some weird way, all of these headline stories are like this web of of what's actually happening, you know. And uh, as a callback, I guess, uh, I would start with today being May Day. Oh, yeah. I think uh, we did talk <clears throat> about it last year because... Yeah, shout out to all of our uh, protest-related stories and podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to the proletariat, you know, going out there, the working class. And and showing their support for each other and and their support for causes within their ranks. So indeed, but fuck the Proud Boys, like because they're out there too, and they're just yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're gonna get every you know exposure moment possible. Yeah, this is this is an interesting May Day because last May Day, like I heard about some stuff, but it was pretty typical Seattle May Day where it was kind of like. The young anarchists destroying things downtown. 
Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be something you want to stay away from. But this one with like the uh, the neo Nazis or the alt right or whatever you want to call it, I'm still calling neo Nazis, being having more of a like larger voice in finding events like these to corral against. It's, yeah. it's very interesting to see what the aftermath will be with it all tomorrow morning to see if anything happened. Right. If it ended up being civil, if they brought their guns with them and they ended up popping off, like, you know. what And what civic leader participation there was. So mm-hmm. kind of what, what was the nature of the speeches and the different things that uh, people um, who are leadership here in Seattle, uh, what did they do? Or around the country, you know, at other, at other spots. Um, yeah, and, and Mayday definitely, you know, has a interesting history. You know, it goes all the way back to essentially protests that turned into riots. Yep, the WTO. You know, and so, um, well, I think it was even before that. Like, the original Mayday riots were um, back in, I want to say, Chicago. Oh, okay. In, like, yeah. the early turn of the century. And it was kind of one of the first kind of sparks that set off the whole workers' movement that we kind of know today as far as, like, working hours and livable wage and uh, breaks and lunches paid and all that stuff kind of came out of uh, the repercussions from this riot. And the riot was quelled. I mean, essentially the private police and the factory owners won. Uh, But their workers, because, you know, they were the large kind of... amount of people that were going to work even with the scabs they were going to miss production goals mm-hmm. and so the factories had to turn to forming unions to work with the people and get them back on the um on the on the manufacturing floors and so you know that's and that's the beginning and then today you know we fight these same battles uh you know in service counters and you know medical facilities and um different transportation, you know, and just kind of everywhere else. And then within that, you know, there's the ranks of people who aren't, like, union um, contracted or, like, organized who are still represented. You know, a lot of service workers, you know, mm-hmm. are under underrepresented union-wise. And so, the, you know, they still participate in Mayday because they get the effect of the overall kind of commerce of, of business in this country. Yeah, for sure. There are definitely a multitude of voices that are coming out in uh – doing their thing today so it's kind of a good uh you know national day of whatever soapbox you need to be on uh this is a day for you to be on that soapbox if you need to so yeah i guess like you know with the whole free speech argument even though free speech is technically against the government and all that but anyway like people being able to say what they want to say like yeah this is a good barometer to see where we're at in america with all that before we head into the summer, because last year, summer had Charlottesville and, uh, you know, all that crazy stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, and we're going to hear about that as we as we get into closer to that. You know, we're going to hear about the reminders of the anniversary of this event and this event. And just to think how recent, you know, these events are going to stack up. I mean, you know, everything we've just talked about in the last two years, you know, which is, I mean, we've only been here a year and a half. But by then, you know, two years. I mean, we've covered every type of event mm-hmm. at this point, and that's like less than eighteen months at this point. With 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 war related things, with musings about nuclear <laughs> missiles, all the way to um, natural disasters, and you know, it's just kind of the modern era of uh, both people made and just kind of natural system problems. Uh, the world we face right now is really tough. 
you know, and the obstacles are getting tougher, you know, by the day, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and, you know, it looks like the whole Flint water problem uh, might be kind of spilling over into other parts of the Midwest. I guess there's been a study in Chicago recently that's turned up a high percentage of lead in a lot of homes. And so, uh, you know, we have to kind of look at the American water table again and see if are we treating our water in all of our cities correctly and is the infrastructure there for a modern system or is some of it archaic and left over and adding and leaching chemicals into it um yeah we got to look into it and so that's kind of as we're dealing with all these modern problems you know it's like the normal necessities of life are starting to kind of rear their head as you know cleanliness and and water and you know, the food system. We we had the whole E. coli outbreak this year with the romaine lettuce thing. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. You know, and that's a very, you know, that's a widespread product, you know, and it's pretty mm-hmm. generic. And, you know, a lot of people would think, you know, vegetables are kind of a safe bet, you know. Oh, meats are the scary product. But, yeah, no, it can be. Oh, no, E. coli can get on anything. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, do you have any other callback topics? No, but actually, the funny thing is, I was thinking you just you talking about E. coli made me remember that there seems to be an E. coli scare like every so often, quite often. Yeah, because I remember like there was an E. coli breakout with ice cream like maybe three or four years ago, and then there was the spinach coming out of California. Yeah, yeah. So it makes me wonder like what what small mistakes are happening where like these small batches of products actually get uh, infected with E. coli. Yeah, that it happens because like now that you say it, like it it's just I'm like that's par for the course for America. This just happens to be the newest version of that. Right. Yeah. And like, so I'm not as alarmed by it, but I'm alarmed at the fact that I'm not alarmed. And that's kind of where my brain went. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's scary because, it you know, it can affect any food system um, in a pretty dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because our food system is spread out across the entire country. You know, any state, any region can fall victim to it, mm-hmm. you know. And so. uh yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's probably a problem that we're going to keep trying to use probably modern technology, you know, and they'll do more batch studies with, like, laser spectrometers that can, like, judge what, you know, organisms are on product. Mm-hmm. Something, you know, something along those lines, um, you know, or more fail-safes throughout the system, you know, maybe you know, Safeway is going to have, like, a lab in the back. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to, like, mass-produce some sort of system that says, can we check this before? And, like, the fact that it happens often, but it doesn't happen in a way that would make it, like, pandemic levels, tells it it's probably, like, small localized batches and everything, and, you know, and they, they figure it out, right? And there's a bunch of ways that it can happen, and there's so many people in the system of those things that like I am like genuinely concerned about it as a an American and a human being that lives in this country, but I'm not so worried about it that I think that's how I'll die. Right. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, and we may not know. And with those sad thoughts, uh, we enter our episode. <laughs> uh, and we're still in the mid-50s. Uh, I'm losing track as we go. It's 53. Okay. I, I think it even might be a different one. But that's a, that's <laughs> the fun convo we have. I feel I think this might be 55 or 54. Okay, no, it's not 55. <laughs> okay, then it's, it's, okay. it's 53 or 54. Okay, still. All right. 
And we're always on target. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're here once again. So uh, because we have so many topics, what is this week's kind of starting focus topic for you? Uh, do we want to start here or do you have anything from abroad? Or shall we enter our American look at politics? Oh, uh, we can start abroad and then come back to America. Okay. Like, because, I mean... We could talk about North Korea and South Korea coming together for peace talks, because that's interesting. Yeah, and, okay, so ultimately the goal for, let's say, us right now and probably the world at large is uh, opening up the country so we can get more foreign travel in and out as well as kind of identification of what's actually happening there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, denuclearization of their military and their state as a whole. And um and then some system in place to not allow for the corruption in future generations. You know, because if we only get like 25 years away from Kim Jong Un and the old ways kind of rear their head, you know. Mm-hmm. We we had it better when, you know, it was regime. You know, that's going to be a problem. So, or if we as it's kind of looking like leave him in power as we've done before in these kind of like coup-esque diplomacy deals, Mm -hmm. give him the option to like stay in power. Like how long does he allow rampant changes before he kind of like tightens it down and notices that it's, it's kind of a snowball effect, you know, freedom at least if you start giving tastes of freedom. Mm hmm. Well, they're like North Korea is a very authoritarian government uh, as of right now, right? And South Korea is very de- uh, democratic and open, right? So, so definitely you would want for I think the overall safety of the world for the South Korean system to permeate itself into the North Korean system. Okay, so and uh, and I feel like if you want to keep Kim Jong Il in power, I want to put dead. power or Kim Jong Un <laughs> in power. I want to put power into quotations because I feel like it should be sort of a ceremonial may not be the right word for it, but sort of in a sense where it's more of like he's a figurehead that has a title but that title holds no power anymore. Okay. And uh, which okay, so that's on the table is the perfect scenario. Right. But because why would he want that? Well, see, see that's the thing. I don't know enough about like what are Kim Jong Un's goals right. for North Korea. I do know that he would or at least I think I know that he was doing everything with the nuclear tests and everything kind of to say we have this. Right. And so if you fuck with us, we going to fuck with you back. Yeah. Right. But I did kind of like glance at this science article on I fucking love science that said the real reasons why they might be wanting to do this thing is all their nuclear testing did some damage to like their landscape and their soil and things like that. And they definitely don't have the funds to deal with it. Well, that and there was an accident last year. Mm. October. It was on Halloween. Uh, There was an explosion. In North Korea. Oh, yeah. I think it was referencing that. And 200 nuclear scientists or nuclear employees uh, perished in Mm. in the collapse. That's that's as much estimate as we know to be close to accurate. Um, And a lot of people think that that really hampered their nuclear capability in such a way that it wasn't as admirable of a program 
mm-hmm. because it had this major catastrophe failure and the ability to reboot that was going to be impossible. Mm. And so in order to kind of keep the fear out there because they do still have the physical missiles that they produced and everything, mm-hmm. come to the bargaining table. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm, what I'm kind of, in my mind, I, you know, best case scenario, it goes similar to East and West Germany. And there was a few awkward years when the wall came down mm-hmm. that it wasn't like abandon East Germany right away. Like it took a little bit before the Democrat of Germany to kind of form and become the whole country. Mm-hmm. And I see South North Korea being even more restrictive than that. Yeah, because there's a lot of indoctrination there. Yeah, and it's required for the mindset of the Kim Jong-un regime being in power. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you unleash... Like what you're kind of wanting to say on the table of like all of the South Korean culture on North Korea, you're just going to get an exodus south. Like you're just literally going to get them all. They're just all going to leave. No, I don't. I see. I don't want them to leave. I want. Uh, yeah. I you want, want their conditions in- there to improve. Yeah. So, yeah, I want their infrastructure to They're, improve. I want like what's going to make them think it's going to like the moment anybody has access to exit, they're going to leave. Well, yes and no, because there are a lot of prison camps out there that they yeah. have people in, right? So, yeah, what's going to happen to all them? And the indoctrination is so strong that I think people won't leave because they have loyalty to North Korea. Like, I okay. think the indoctrination is that strong. And, and I think it's not going to be like a five-year process. It'll be like a 30-year process of, you know— and, like finding out what where their cities are, right, and then figuring how to bring modern day construction and modern day amenities to those uh, cities, and then you have to like introduce new culture, and then you have to have the battle between I have my indoctrinated culture versus the South Korean culture, and they're gonna clash, and they're they're gonna clash hard. Yeah, people are gonna reject it. Like it'll be easier to get the kids because so, the kids will be like, yeah, I want to do kid things, but the adults. They're gonna. There might be nigh impossible to change their mind on. Oh, South Korea is benevolent, or South Korea has K-pop. How about we do this? But you can also talk about the troublesome things about South Korea, like rampant um, what is it, plastic surgery or things like that, or you know, the the overcapitalization of electronics, or you know, reality TV. Right. So there is these. I'm like, okay, so so here's what I'm wondering. One one way. I mean. Uh, Kim Jong-un wants the tap to be turned back on and so he's just waiting for that and then he's kind of biding his time by like he's going to give as much as he needs to to get the tap turned back on I think the money resources got dried up I think some of what Obama did and some of what Trump did mm-hmm. financially through other means with Europe uh, has hampered down and I think Russia and China finally played hardball mm-hmm. for the first time ever. And I think that had effect. Now, it's as tepid as our relationship with Russia and China as far as its successfulness going forward. But I'm afraid that he's going to kind of give enough concessions that allow for some of that money to come back in and get enough of it funneled to him and his cronies to maybe shut it down again. Because it's like... It doesn't be he. I mean, because the only other version of it I see is like the co- the comedic version of it is you fast forward ten years from now and he's the third guest on Fallon, you know. And my next guest, uh, former leader of the Democratic Republic of North Korea, uh, Kim Jong Un, everybody, and he comes out in like a t-shirt and like jeans, and he's like, "Hey, America!" 
it's a big crazy and like wow so you were the leader of north korea for like 10 years after your family ruined. you're like yeah it's, those are crazy times man you know like like it's like is it does it get to that point where he normalizes his country so much that we're okay with him as a person or does he keep the kind of like stranglehold because that's his identity that's the culture that he was raised in and just kind of like leaks a little bit of advantages to to appease us essentially so that's the kind of like weird game I'm one like that's the that I'm I'm curious about his his motive and and in goal. Yeah, he definitely subjugates his people to the point where he takes the majority of the wealth, so he's able to live richly while everyone lives below below poverty. Right. So if the tap turns back on, it's immediately some of it's going to him. Right. So I don't know if the tap <clears throat> will turn on because of the peace talks or anything, but it definitely like. I would hope, and based on his track record, I kind of have confidence in the South Korean president thinking win-win when it comes to the situation. Yeah. Um, because that's that's really what you want to happen. You want it to benefit both Koreas. And you want eventually to give, I think, a quality of life increase to North Korea, which you know is way worse than the quality of life that you have in South Korea. I mean, in a weird way, in a weird way, it's like... It's kind of like the movie The Burbs, except for instead of like trying to like have their house burn down and have the weirdos leave, we go over there and we're like, all right, allegedly you guys killed some people. We're going to rebuild the fence. We're going to give you a nice new front yard. Just be cool. Because it's like that's what South Korea gets is they get a bad neighbor behaving nicely. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing they get. You know, pretty much like that's and that's pretty much all they wanted for 70 years. You know, I mean, that's legit desire. But, um, you know, it's what we would have seen in Vietnam if Vietnam would have ended in a similar stalemate. You know, we we would have seen mm -hmm. we'd probably see a same demilitarized zone. But instead, you know, the communist power took the. So there's some there's some interesting lessons there where you wonder about uh, a so ethnically connected pairing of countries which is similar to north and south vietnam mm -hmm. if um it it behooves that area to be ruled by one person clearly not a despot who's starving his people and putting a bunch of people in political prisons so in our minds that would be south korea but i think yeah i think ultimately the world lends a better neighbor earns a better neighbor and mm -hmm. north korea has north korea's upside on this can go through the roof Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, if he can manage, I mean, I, his biggest fear is a coup. You know, his he doesn't trust nobody. I mean, that's why he offed his half-brother. That's why he offed his, uh, his uncle, like, day five. Mm. Uh, he he did that because any, any connection to the old regime or any connection to some uh, connection to authority... Uh, felt to him as like you know a rival and so in that sense you know he's already ba even though you know we don't have blood on his hands but we know that you know where the orders come from um that's the best presumption we can make with the facts yeah yeah and so it, it's like he has to worry about okay i can't be super i can't let like a thousand political prisoners go in one day you know because all of those people were put there because they're probably antagonists towards his beliefs. Well, of course, and some that's of them, how the indoctrination works. And some of them are probably some of the like smarter and more, you know, 
like advanced in society type people who are probably able to use science and technology and and communication skills and experience and knowledge and all kinds of tools that he may not have access to personally that he has to kind of use you know the arms of the government that he owns and runs around him uh and they're a threat because if they get in the masses behind them you know if you all of a sudden let out 10 lebron james 10 einsteins 10 you know mathematicians 10 you know all of them at once you know of course you're going to be afraid so he can't do that and yet that's definitely going to be on the table for us like we can't have him have these giant labor camps and just turn a blind eye no of course not so i mean we technically have for a while since you know forever. that incursion for would it would be really damaging just like to any sort of diplomatic effects that we can do so definitely i think what i would love to see is some sort of a like colony on both sides, like a North Korean colony in South Korea and a South Korean colony in North Korea. And so just so there's like, because it's going to be hard for people to be like, yo, I'm used to this. So I need to go to a place where I feel accepted still. So if you're like a South Korean person who wants to be like, you know, sort of like the first person to pull out the olive branch in North Korea it should be like a town or something they can create that can be like, you know, new soul or something. Right. And uh, like, but like, because you, you need an epicenter for that culture. And ultimately it becomes a culture war. And I'm pretty confident because South Korean culture is more robust and more free and more abundant that it'll win over in North Korea than North Korea's rigid structured and very indoctrinated culture would win in South Korea. And I, and I personally, I would almost venture to argue that I think it's already been broken through the means of co- uh, covert tactics of broadcasting airwaves at North Korea, mm-hmm. at smuggling thumb drives, at smuggling DVDs, at different types of ways of getting medium and information to North Korea. I think the population in mass knows the realities and I think they play the part because they've seen people go down Mm -hmm. but they're not naive to it I think maybe some of the older generation might be because they've just lived under it for so long but I think since the technology boom and the whole thumb drive thing I think there's a youth culture that is well aware of what's going on in the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and I think that's why they know to turn to athletics because they know the athletic people get visas and passports Mm -hmm. and they end up traveling. Um, You know, soccer team members left at the world cup, you know, Olympic Olympians leave almost every time. So yeah. um, It's, 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 it's the biggest news story in a decade if it goes through and it's legit. Yeah. And I hope it does. And I do too. I do too. And I, and you know, and I, I, I hope and pray and I don't even pray, but you know, in the sense of like have thoughts towards a better ideal and like hope for that situation, um, that Kim Jong-un does in his mind have somewhere where he can relinquish power. That is a trait that is rare amongst men, not just man, but mankind. And it's rare in the sense that power is never hardly ever at least yielded um, over for free. It's it's constantly having to be taken or demolished or, or, or structurally changed so much that it's irrelevant. 
uh, you don't you don't have handing over power very often. The only kind of moment in time that we really kind of noticed that was after the economic boom of World War II, we didn't invade Britain. You know, Britain was broke and was down on their luck, and its infrastructure was pretty hammered from all the war. Mm-hmm. And we didn't take that opportunity to just go smash through Britain because we were allies. Yeah. And that's like the first time where a power dynamic was created and a vacuum was created like that where the victor didn't take advantage. Yeah, because we got to the point where there wasn't like there was land to take over sure, but like colonialism was pretty much done at that point and colonialism basically was just trying to take over everything. Because they had the power to, and they had the technological I advantage. Mean, if you ask Latin America and Africa if colonialism was done at that point, they would probably tell you different. You're, you're right. You're right. But but, but I mean, <clears throat> I guess what I'm trying to say is, in the case of that alignment alliance, at the end of 1945, diplomatic solutions were better to do than militaristic. I'm going to take you over because you're weak. Because it'll just happen on the flip side again of you became weak so well and it also fit into american ideals like i'm not going to kick you when you're down just to kick you like you know britain would have had to be our enemy for us to be like okay and now we're occupying the british isles we run you now you guys are assholes you know but you know they filled the role that we wanted and we filled the role that they wanted and so we accepted them as equals even though economically and viability-wise, we were a much stronger country at that moment. Um, And then, like, looking forward, I think everything in this deal has to do with China. You know, China has more control in its hand in North Korea than almost Kim Jong-un does. Mm -hmm. And so how they choose to play this move, given the dynamics that we have right now with the trade disagreements and all that... Uh, really has a lot, I think, in the value of whether this um, truce can last, whether it's actually a formation of a unified Korea. Uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with the partnership that China plays with the rest of the world in this in this peace treaty, and and ultimately Russia as well, uh, to a lesser case in North Korea than China, but still to a in a big way. Yeah. I think in China and Russia's cases, they do get some cheap labor out of uh, North Korea in exchange for, you know, money. And uh, because, you know, I don't know what uh, their currency is, but, you know, based on their GDP, their currency isn't worth a lot. That means yeah. it's cheap labor. I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of their transactions are done in the yuan or whatever, the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so yuan. definitely I feel like that would be something that China was like, hey. We still need kind of like this. And then, you know, Russia's little sliver where they kind of use that to trade yeah. goods so, as so, well, too. So, yeah, Russia's probably going to, okay, we'll participate, but we got to be able to sell them oil. And we got to be able to get some labor. We'll document the labor. We'll let them leave if they don't like the job, which has never been the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, China's going to be like, all right, we're the economic arm. You know, basically, North Korea is our new Hong Kong. Uh, we're, we'll we'll make sure that they have value and money, and you know, mm-hmm. you owe us a lot of money, U.S. So you guys can't be mad about that as a stipulation. And then South Korea is going to be like, no nukes, <laughs> like zero fucking nukes. How about no? How about negative nukes? How about you guys start cleaning up other people? Like no, we don't. How about no nukes? <laughs> Did we mention nukes? Hey, 
free Wi-Fi, South Korea on us. No big deal. We got you. Uh, hashtag no nukes. I think no nukes is always on the table, and they won't do anything. I don't think they will. I don't think. There. I don't think anything. I don't even think we'll accept anything less of that. But yeah. yeah. But like each player has their kind of play. So I I think you're right that y- the ultimate solution is bringing those players into the conversation and allowing some divvying up of North Korea's future, which is like, yeah. It's so nasty. It's 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 literally what's riddled Afghanistan mm-hmm. as a quagmire. Is every country doesn't even know what they want to see happen in Afghanistan, so nobody leaves. Mm. And meanwhile, there's a lot of speculation that resources are on their way out through military channels. Mm-hmm. Now, that's all speculation. I don't have any ears or nose on the ground. But, you know, there's, there's you know, a lot of infrastructure that's built there based on foreign military occupation and not a lot of infrastructure for civilian-based stuff. So if there was any type of um, corporate collaboration, it's not going to be with the Afghan government. All righty. So, yeah. so we've talked a lot about North Korea. What topic should we head on over to next? Well, um, I mean, I guess worldwide right now, uh, Trump always gets a few minutes. So the state of America is our our little segment where we like to focus on where we're from, America. America. Your buddy that we thought was cool, we're starting to realize he might have had a few DUIs. (laughs) And, you know, he's still all right, but I I just want to make sure the license is valid before I get in the car. That's America these days. Uh, and our leader right now, you know, might've had a few and, uh, he's kind of hitting, hitting the wall as far as this investigation's concerned. He, uh, has definitely, at least through the Republican party, uh, made efforts to find out if Rubenstein is removable. They now are talking an impeachment. Um, technically that's because Jeff Sessions won't authorize it. So it's the one like standoff Jeff Sessions is doing okay. th- that I support is he won't fire uh, Rosenstein, who hired Robert Mueller and effectively controls the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, uh, Trump, you know, he he's kind of hitting every obstacle on the way in this Russia investigation. Meanwhile, it plots on. And, you know, if anything comes to light that's of significant value, it's kind of run its course far enough now that, that Mueller will be protected and uh, and something is going to come of this. If the Republicans can manage to impeach Rosenstein and they hire a appropriate person for what they want to do, that person will probably fire Mueller. Who knows what happens after that? Apparently, according to Sessions, he leaves then. But I, I would say political pundits have wondered why he's still there to begin with. Like, Jeff Sessions? Yeah, because him and Trump have been at odds. I mean, other than his like his strict kind of agenda um, and his kind of classic republicanisms. Yeah, but he's still kind of like, he he's not doing anything that's going to harm the president. And he, he's not doing anything right now that's totally against like, the president staying in a good light with his constituency. So I don't think he's going anywhere until he does that. 
Yeah, although, you know, a large percentage of his constituency just loves him because he was on The Apprentice, which is like, we're never going to be able to change that, you know? So they're not even, like, swayed by political motives. It's like, yeah, he's still the guy from The Apprentice. I watched all eight seasons, you know? (laughs) I mean, I don't mean that, though. I mean that Jeff Session is kind of a neutral party when it comes to are you trying to make uh, the Americans that I care about, you know, be heard and act like I care about you. Jeff Sessions is sort of like politically neutral in that stance with them, but he's um, politically in opposition with a lot of like left and progressive ideologies. So that's where I kind of feel like Trump doesn't really care much about Jeff Sessions right now because he's just like, oh, you're just there. That's <laughs> that's a weird position for your attorney general. It's funny because, you know, previous presidents have had their brother there, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, JFK. Typically a more <laughs> more trusted member of your uh, of your uh, situation in the administration cabinet. Uh, you know, and so I guess further on that point, you know, we have the Kanye kind of atmosphere around Trump. So what do you think about that conversation? Uh, it... It has weird points, and it extended all the way into today. So I don't even know if you've even heard, like, Kanye's response to people's response to Kanye's statements, because we're already, like, at, like, level four at this point. Yeah, I, I, the only things I've really seen about it, because I haven't paid too much attention to it, because it's Kanye talking some stupid shit, but uh, I heard the uh, me and Donald Trump have dragon energy, or something like that, right? which kind of sounds like some discount DJ college shit to say. Um, and all, But the thing that's really inflammatory is him calling 400 years of slavery a choice. Right. Okay. And so and that's the thing that then he ended up walking in the TMZ studios. Mm-hmm. And then he confronted one of the, well, was actually confronted by one of the TMZ reporters who yeah. basically took offense to that statement. Of course. And had, you know, his rebuttal. And so then, I guess, uh, and this is, you know, from his, like, third party from his ideas. Uh, apparently, his stance today on referencing that was, of course I know people who were shackled and put on boats didn't choose to be slaves. What I was saying was, at times we outnumbered the masters and it was at that point an enslavement of the mind, which still doesn't qualify it because it doesn't talk about, you know, psychological abuses and the, and the types of, of, of mm-hmm. tactics that, you know, plantation owners and used, you know? Yeah. Of course there was abilities to leave. I mean, runaway slaves happened all the time. So clearly there wasn't like, a prison style where there's gates and giant walls, you know, there was more freedom to that. But then the repercussions where you get caught, you're killed. So I'm sure even when the numbers were in their favor, it was just a dis- despair to try and like yeah. any type of successful uprising. Yeah. And they wouldn't always get killed. Maybe one of them would get killed, but remember like to them, they're a ultimately, resource. Yeah. So unless it, it seems like you can get away, in which case they do ultimately have to create some sense of, order mm-hmm. you know it's all based on fear is what any totalitarian government does right so that was his correction was kind of like talking in the sense that it's like there was an enslavement not to be confused with the idea of like there is some psychological slavery going on i mean that's that's what happens you know we as as people we we make concessions in order to survive through the most difficult things yeah you know there's you know people just, mm. people make that concession in prison you know like they 
you know, eventually, you know, you might hate it day one, but eventually you, in your mind, you can convert your version of life to that. It's still bleak and it's still negative, but as a survival mechanism is so strong in us, uh, on average, most people end up just getting through it as best they can, you know. Um, yeah, it was just like to call it because what I saw was the clip when he was sitting in the TMZ offices and he was saying the thing is like, yeah, if you were in slavery for 400 years, tell me. It sounds like a choice. Like, that's yeah. how he phrased it. Yeah. And that's super reductive and super ignorant because, like, like they were enslaved. And, like, we just mentioned earlier that, like, the repercussions of leaving, you see that. And they make examples of you. Like, and just leaving wasn't even things that they made insubordinate things of. Like, if you acted out of line, they put you on a tree and they whipped your ass. Right. Right? Like, they freely took their woman and raped them. Right? Like, there was so much psychological damage and fear that even I saw this one, uh, brief clip about the fact that it might have been so there that it became ingrained in the DNA of future slaves because wow. that's what happens, right? right? So when you say it sounds like a choice, fuck you, Kanye, or as people are, are calling them Kanye now, <laughs> which I find fucking hilarious, wow. right? So <laughs> it's... <laughs> Okay. Right. So yeah, it it's just like it's reductive, it's stupid. I I don't know why he's saying it. He shouldn't be saying it. I think more people need to know the brutality of slavery cuz everybody seems to tell black people to get the fuck over it. And it's kind of yeah. like, no, when it's down to your DNA because of all the psychological damage they did, how do you forget it? Meanwhile, they they actually opened a lynching museum somewhere that yeah, was Yeah, I think in Georgia. supposed to give kind of a a visual uh emotional kind of leave similar to kind of the Holocaust museum mm-hmm. where we're going to deal with a very difficult subject but we're going to try and personify the victims as opposed to um you know because I guess what is it like the, to the victors goes the spoils thing. Mm-hmm. And so you get a lot of these kind of victimized uh, groups in history. Their stories get kind of muddled amongst the, the kind of people that were left over. And so that's why things like the Holocaust Museum are important because it'll actually kind of give you a more uh, uh, kind of omnipotent approach to the whole concept of what was happening there. And I guess this lynching museum is trying to talk about not only the difficulties of being African-American in the United States and or in the world at that time, but also just the actual act of lynching and what an impactful part it was in the day-to-day life for like a good portion of it, you know, yeah. up until modern day. Yeah, because lynching is just a carryover from punishments from slavery. Right. Right. That, that's all it is. Like, I not to, like to make it reductive, but it was just a continuation of that. It just wasn't. It was still used as punishment. It was still used as psychological warfare. It was still used to say that you don't have a place here. Fuck you. Right. Right. It, I don't even know. I feel like there needs to be a stronger word than fuck you for that. Right. But that's what it was. It was just like no. It was like if you don't, if you're not gonna learn your place and stay where you belong, we're gonna make an example out of you, so the rest of y'all know where your place is and where you belong. Yeah. Right. So people need to see the brutality of that, and people need to stop thinking that the folks who and and people also have to know how normalized it was for white folks to do that shit. 
Right. right, like that's that's what people keep forgetting. They think it was like super bad people or super malicious people who did it. No, yeah. right, like they would make a spectacle out of it, right? Yeah. And when you make a spectacle out of something, that normalizes it. So, and I like the fact that there is a museum that's saying, "Hey, this is a part of our society that was normal, and now we don't think it's normal." But you have to understand what people thought back then, and that's some fucked up shit. Right. Yeah, and that's why you know it and. I don't think every museum or every public space that we create should only tell some happy Disney kind of story. Mm-hmm. I think we have to tell the grim tales. Of you course. Know? Uh, and I and I think, I think the only positive thing that I see coming out of the Kanye cloud in this discussion was when he pulled out the in one of it was either in like a clip from the. Uh, uh, what do you call it? The he, he had an interview with the guy from the radio show uh, Breakfast Club, but um, so Charlemagne the God. Yeah, yeah, Charlemagne. So his interview with him, uh, he mentioned that the reason he's like pushing this element is because uh, he wants a bigger conversation. He need want he wants to stop theoretically. This is what he said that he wants to stop this kind of team mentality. Where it's like, you're over there, so all of your ideas are bad. And we're over here, so all of our ideas are good. And so in his weird, twisted mind, putting on a MAGA hat is his way of saying, what if I believed this? Can, can I see to the other side? You know, And that, in my mind, in a, in a philosophical way, in a, in, a, in, a, in a thought experiment way, is brilliant. That's really brilliant. I know. Like, I I can see that from a because like it's every time I see people talk about it online about the hypocrisy um, about that and that kind of is a good segue in the White House Correspondents' Dinner right. sort of thing because it's there's a dynamic in sociology that's in group and out group and every time I see the interaction it's just in group and out group. If someone's in the in group, you give them a pass. If someone's in the out group, you say, "Oh hell no." Right. And that escalates to a point. But you have to ask yourself, like, which in group is dominant and which in group isn't, Uh, which in groups have freedoms and which groups don't. So it's kind of like I guess I can understand where he's coming from, from that, like, you know, philosophical, sociological sense. But when the power dynamics are so skewed, it, it kind of like you're giving credence to people who already have power and who are acting like victims when they aren't. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, uh, maybe we should like think back and think a little bit harder about what you're doing. Like it's, I think I kind of feel like it's one of that phrase, uh, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the only piece that I understood from him that I kind of like pulled as a nugget of like, I get it, but he's also Kanye-ing it in mm-hmm. the sense that he's, he's, Bumbling the delivery. So even if he means well, he's bumbling the delivery so much that he's creating a controversy. You mm-hmm. know? It's kind of like his his Taylor Swift moment. Like, his Taylor Swift moment, if you look at it from the perspective of a Taylor Swift fan, is blatantly rude. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's objectively rude as misogyny because it's a male taking the mic from a woman who's casually just handing it to you because you're being so abrasive and forceful, like, charging the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and that you're Kanye at that point, you're, 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 you know, colleagues. Um, and then if you're a Beyonce fan who felt like she got dissed by the decision, it's oddly like a support chant. You know, it's like, yeah, you tell them. All mm-hmm. right, she'll still get the uh, the award, but we know who really won it. Way to go, K-Dog, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then if you're just a newspaper or a tabloid or a fan at large, Kanye makes that whole moment a conversation. Mm-hmm. What would have just been a Taylor Swift crying and saying, this is the greatest moment ever, becomes this iconic Kanye moment. And it and it ultimately, if he thought he was doing his friend a solid, it ended up doing himself a disservice as looking like this kind of like raving lunatic who can't manage himself in live TV. But at the same time, that's just kind of how he operates. And so when you look at this in that perspective, he does just fumble the ball a lot, you know? Yeah. It it feels uh, mm, I I feel like because of the, uh, which how should I say it? the environment of uh, America right now it feels a little bit more offensive and tone deaf to put it lightly. Yeah. But remember, this is the person who said like um maybe like fourteen years ago George Bush doesn't care about black people. Yeah. All right. So it's kind of interesting to see him saying that and making such a bold statement about the mishandling of uh, Katrina. Katrina. So 13 years ago, 2005. 13. Okay. There we yeah. go. Um, to now, and you're kind of like, my how the mighty have fallen? Right. But even that moment was weird because he was on a pitch for a charity, him and Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. And he just said it in the live television, right? George Bush doesn't care about black people. And Mike Myers had to be like, so if you really care about the charity, dial one <laughs> like. Well, he just said it stone face, but I think yeah. that was a good political commentary of what was happening and how people felt at that time. So I yeah. wasn't, I guess I was in the in group of saying like, yeah, Kanye. Right. <laughs> right. And if you were, yeah. And I guess only maybe if you were like in the logistic system of George Bush and felt that you had been activated appropriately and was doing your best work, you might take offense to that and mm-hmm. say, we're doing our best, you know, but, you know, you're doing a good job, Brownie, quote from that moment. Brownie was doing a shitty job. Uh, the uh, FEMA ended up not bringing out a bunch of supplies, and that ended up getting flooded because of where they placed it. Buses got flooded that were supposed to help uh, evacuate citizens, so it got fumbled, you know. And so, ultimately, uh, that one rang true. You know, mm-hmm. and in a weird way, it's kind of goes back and forth, but in a weird way, just based on the kind of rise of Beyonce, you almost think he got that one right in a weird way, in a weird way. Uh, I think no one, re- no one remembers the single that Taylor Swift had that year, but everyone remembers all the single ladies. So the <laughs> best video, you have to say it's on the memorable one, but, um, you know, he, he's only on the right side of that because he picked the right horse. Not that she's a horse, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, so when he gets that right, like the George Bush, not liking black people, it felt right. It felt right because of the response, mm-hmm. you know, it felt right because of the actions of the government. It felt whether it's true or not, whether George Bush just fucked up, picked the wrong people, the, the agencies that he relied on made bad moves, mm-hmm. which is very likely. I mean, the president can only do so much. They're one person. 
uh, or if he actively restricted aid to a city because he believed that it was going to overwhelmingly hurt minorities, mm-hmm. then he's one of the most terrible people who's ever been either president or leader of any country. Yeah, or you could take a third option and just say that <clears throat> that wasn't on his list of priorities, so the amount of urgency that he wanted to apply to the matter wasn't one that he might have might have done to, to a place that he had more affinity to. Like Houston or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, okay. So that's, and that's just kind of how I guess, you know, a call back to earlier where I was talking about how uh, the tabloid news is now so ingrained. It goes back further even in modern age, you know, with just the same actor, you know, Kanye being the player in the, in the, in the, in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, you know, the other interesting thing he said in the Charlemagne thing was, um, he goes, uh, I recognize Barack or I recognize Obama's assent, but when Donald Trump was elected, I knew I could be president. Okay. <laughs> it's a sentence he said. So in a weird way, if you if you cryptically kind of try and divide that sentence up, he's trying to say, no, I recognize the milestone that Barack Obama was in his ascent, his ability to be who he was and become president. I recognize that. He's saying that. But... If he's saying the election of Donald Trump makes it more likely to be him be president because they're both not qualified, yeah, is interesting and 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 a very kind of intelligent look at the picture of uh, it, which then turns the whole lens back on us. Are we overreacting? Because is he on our side and he's just trying to get that side to play fair? And he's like, all you got to do is wear their stupid hat and like tweet about them nicely for a while and all of a sudden they start giving you things. <laughs> like if that's his weird play, then he's kind of the like miracle like genius we had need right now to convince this fucking guy to like start changing his ways. But if he's not in that league and he's literally like, "Man, I just like how this boss ass dude got elected and I could be I'm a boss ass dude. I should get elected like that." Then he's in the not know cuz then he also thinks that Trump's got a smart ideas and then we kind of disagree with that. Mm-hmm. So if he's saying it because of his lack of qualifications and his own identity of his own lack of qualifications for the role, then that's that's kind of an astute point. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think other people have said that. I can begrudgingly agree that, you know, um, Barack Obama was a brilliant candidate on paper and that made him uh, the strong, upstanding black person that could get elected into the presidency. Everyone knows that subtlety is there. So I guess it does say something about the fact that anybody can be president. But as the like the course of America went on, we started to basically have unwritten and then written rules about who is supposed to be president. Right. And yes, Trump is a disruption of that. And I think that is a good discussion to have if that's a good disruption or a bad disruption. In Trump's case, it's a bad disruption because, like, he's just all over the place and breaking down ideals and everything. But would it be a bad um, deconstruction of that norm if it happened to someone who was, like, more reasonable? I don't know. Yeah. Or on a different ideology, like if there was a Bernie you know, yeah, who, but no, but Bernie, but he'd be yanking, he'd be yanking the 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 mechanisms apart that he felt didn't fit 
a social norm. Yeah, but so, he's also been a senator for like 30 years. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a status quo there. Um, yeah, I guess I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a direct example, you know. Yeah. Like Oprah Winfrey would might be like an example that people have been touting or something like that. And this just reminds me to think about Cynthia Nixon, woo woo, running for governor of uh, New York. Just like seems like she wants to do big things. Yeah. Well, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll follow the races as they get in, and we're obviously heading into uh, uh, the primary season as well as uh, special election season. So we'll definitely look at that. Otherwise, man, I think we might have flown through this episode. A little bit, yeah. I think there's only one more thing I want to touch on, and that's the White House Correspondents' Dinner okay. uh, comedy routine. Because I found, like, it was interesting um, being, like, last year, I forget who the host was. And his jokes were funny, but I felt like they were really tame. Yeah. And this year, uh, Michelle Wolf just, like, she went after everybody. And But I really just wanted to touch on how everyone seems a little bit butthurt about... Her, her comments on uh, Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like, it, everyone's, like... Well, one thing they're saying, like, they, they talked about her eye makeup, so they're saying that it was gendered. I'm like... No, makeup's gender neutral. Like, anybody can use makeup. It's just marketed to women, and that's why you think that. Right. Uh, But also the fact that she didn't really say anything about her beauty. She just said basically, like, this this character from The Handmaid's Tale is someone who uses her religious power to subjugate women to do things in that society. And she was also pointing the fact out that Sarah Huckabee Sanders lies to the American people and to the press corps all the time. Right. Right. And and then she didn't do the majority of her speech on Sarah Huckabee. It was literally like a 30 second kind of divergence from a whole conversation about um, kind of the value of honesty and truth in media mm-hmm. and about how um, also the impression that the media puts. I love her line that she says. You guys make me think that you used to date Trump. Yes, oh my god, because I was you gold. act like you hate him, but I think you really love him. <laughs> and and here's why: because you guys, y- he couldn't sell anything. He couldn't sell vodka. He couldn't sell steaks. He couldn't sell Eric to us. <laughs> and he was like, and so she's like, but he's helping you sell papers. It's helping you sell books and helping you sell TV. Damn right he is. So you guys are taking this hate all the way to the bank. So yeah. And I think, you know, I, as you know, as a struggling open mic style comedian, I support her in, even if I didn't agree with everything she said in this case, I agreed with a lot of it. Mm-hmm, same here. Um, even then I would support her in having the ability to make her statement. You know, she's invited to that. She's invited as the role of the comedic act who's there to make fun of somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's just the the nature of the fact that she picked on everyone in the room, including the gentleman who wasn't there, Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so I think she did a really good job. And I think also, you know, as a kind of a stand in this in this break the patriarchy era that we're in, mm-hmm. she she showed that, you know, as a woman in a tough environment because that room was not friendly to her. Oh, not at all. There was some audible laughter, and I think she was able as a professional to t- just hone in on the fact that enough of the crowd was getting what she was saying, that she mm-hmm. could just write it out, and the intelligence of being a comedian who's done sets on TV. Mm-hmm. So she knew 
there's an entire audience that's going to see this on video later. I'm delivering this message to them. Yup, yup. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable this room gets. Exactly. As long as I stay on board. Um, and there was some like report from somebody that there was a comedian that helped her write it and that they said on the way up, they were like, be yourself, be brave, burn this thing to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that's, that's kind of what she did. You know, she took their little pomp and circumstance ceremony and flipped it on its head. Yeah. And. You know, I think I think history is going to be kind to her for that. Oh, of course. And and I think uh, I think ultimately the media is going to back off of her in the coming weeks once it gains the idea that the public at large really likes that. They really like people who can be in the room and look these people in the eye. You know, Donald Trump didn't like it, but Donald Trump's president because of a correspondence dinner. A lot of people think it was Obama making fun of him at that correspondence dinner that really triggered the idea of, like, I'll show you, bud. Mm-hmm. You know, he was already doing the birther thing, but he had already kind of started to taper off of that. And by R- Obama reigniting it with him in the room, he really, a lot of political pundits have said that he ramped up his uh, funding process. They ramped up his, like, look for a team thing. Frontline, when they did his profile on him, talked about that and how yeah. that was like. It was uh, a turning moment. Yeah. I guess there's two things I want to say about it. One, I thought that the comment of that uh, Mike Pence is what happens when uh, Anderson Cooper isn't gay was uh, fucking hilarious. <laughs> right? Even the fact that Don Lemon lost it when she said that, I was like, yo, because, like, when people say that he's, like, General Stryker from uh, X-Men, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, that's him. But also I want to comment on the fact that she's having a Netflix show that's premiering soon. So she basically took her moment in the spotlight and was like, I'm going to say all this. If you want to hear more, watch me on Netflix. I think it's on HBO. Oh, it's on HBO? Yeah, and it's called, and she filmed it, like, three months ago, and it's called Nice Lady. Oh, okay. And the premise behind it is that... um. She grew up in a kind of environment where she was kind and nice and polite and nothing ever like came about. And she thought that was the way she had to be. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she found out that if you push people's boundaries, if you test people, if you if you actually make them like stand at their position as opposed to just like getting by Mm -hmm. that that life and experience is a is a lot more fruitful and like fun. She basically said like being nice isn't fun. Like ultimately, if you really want to find out what people think, challenge them. Yeah. You know, and so that's what it's named nice lady because ultimately she's she's like I'm not that nice of a lady. You know, so it's like this joke like you want hey, you should watch some nice lady comedy and then she's going to be basically what she was on this. Um strong, independent-minded and going to say what she feels. And that to me is the art of comedy and it's why when i hear things and even if it comes from people like tj miller who says that we're the bards of our time and that um because you know the bards were written by the people and was the people who traveled and went from town to town and wanted to entertain and people would on the side give them housing and food and money for their entertainment but the reason the bards were more entertaining than like the local guest is because they would talk shit about the king and the queen and the system at large and the sheriff and all that stuff. And yeah. the people would laugh so much, they'd be like, here's a fucking coin. 
I can't tell anyone I love that, but dude, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. And then they leave town, so they weren't gonna they weren't really like at risk of getting, you know, charged with anything. So they'd be like, What are you talking about? I sang a song. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so, you know, that's comedians today. You know, we're basically writing this comedy based on what we see and we're taking angles that we think is peculiar or funny, you know. And and some people, you know, have ideas about who you can take aim at and at what time and then people like me uh have ideas where that that no the game is there are no rules like this isn't yeah this is that you have to be able to check everything oh of course you know and i'm not saying every punchline should have the n-word or every woman in the audience should be offended by the time you're done or every you know all these extreme knowledge of offensive behavior and and statements are but to some degree Maybe something you say is offensive. Maybe something you say is casually racist. Maybe something you say is is misogynist. As long as the intent is for it to be comedic and as long as the intent is that the person's thought is adjusted. It's just skewed slightly. It isn't ultimately that somebody in the room feels bad or somebody in the room feels like that was a negative thing towards them. It's that their mind had to adjust for a second to see the peculiarity that you're trying to say. And not every person is lying the same way, and that's why not everybody finds the same things funny. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and so ultimately, in order to kind of understand the parameter, we need people at every edge of the spectrum trying and kind of pushing language and pushing uh, what we're talking about and how and what ways we're talking about it, you know. And... You know, right now you're seeing a definite, like, surge in the popularity of female comedians. For the first time in a long time, we have a large kind of population of of female comedians that you know and you recognize in in a way that's almost comparable to the male side uh, as far as numbers. There's still just a little disparity as far as the kind of gender gap in comedy, but it's, it's adjusting quickly. And, and those platforms and that comedic tool is being used by this generation and previous generation of women who tell jokes um, to kind of adjust the, the the misogyny in a direction that, that they see more fit towards, you know, uh, equal uh, treatment and respect. And so by giving that platform to somebody without censorship, we can have a real conversation. If we censor everybody who talks, their platform starts to kind of go down because they have to start to recognize who's in the room, who's going to be offended. Oh, I want to say that, but I can't say that. Even though ultimately somebody's mind could get all, somebody could hear. I've heard about comedians who became comedians because they watched another comedian fail, but one of the jokes was their favorite joke of all time. And so they'd be like, I watched this guy bomb. But he said this joke, and everyone else in the room didn't get it, but I got it. And the fact that he was willing to say that made me want to be a comedian. I've heard that version a mm-hmm. hundred times. Yeah, when it comes to comedians, I want to make sure like there's an honest portrayal of what's going on, and that there's like if you're not to offend, because any like you can be offended by anything, honestly. Yeah. But that's why you have like, to take offense off the table. Right. But be- but what I mean is like uh. 
that when you want to think about what impact you're trying to make, like if you're trying to challenge a taboo, I'm all for challenging taboos, right? Yeah. Um, and But like you just have to be able to live with the backlash you might get for challenging said taboo, yeah. right? Because, you know, people who don't like the idea will reject the idea. But if you get people thinking differently about the idea and it kind of moves that Overton window to another place where you want it to go, as like, you know, an Overwatch character says, and I'll keep saying it, ultimately is about the superiority of ideas. And you can use whatever technique you want to convince somebody that your side is the position they should take. But, you know, it's the ebb and flow of like what you say and what you end up doing, like whatever is the current atmosphere of that. Uh, you have to be willing to live with what is the outcome of that. But hopefully you're framing it in a way that is giving people the impact and thinking about something that they take for granted in a different and, you know, exploratory way. Yeah. And with that, man, I think we have come to the end of our show. Indeed. Uh, as always, uh, you can get a hold of me at Seatown Mayor. That's because I'm the help guy at your municipality by the sea uh and as always chas uh you can catch me at crsii and i want to give a little shout out to uh Crichton lee uh she does a little facebook channel or facebook page and you know she's doing a lot of critiques of uh, uh politics of our day you know systems of patriarchy systems of institutionalized racism and everything of that sort so you know want to give her some some shine so you can check her out follow her on facebook follow her on twitter and you know do the damn thing and as always hylbox at gmail.com give us an email shout out and uh appreciate uh the things i recently heard from a cataloger of podcasts he said that he enjoyed the show also, uh, I want to shout out to everyone to continue to listen to my friend's podcast, All Fantasy Everything. It's hilarious, and uh, it continues to support people I care about, so you should listen to their show, too. Uh, and uh, it's been fun, Jazz. Indeed. Register to vote. May primaries are coming. Have a good one, Mikkel. Uh You as well. Catch you next time, guys. Peace. We out. People always telling me who I am not.